So this time we have the opportunity to sit in meditation together, to cultivate mindfulness, to make mindfulness continuous in the, in the present moment. We see that the Lord Buddha awakened to the Dhamma, awakened to the Dhamma that's incredibly subtle. This is something that the wisdom of the Lord Buddha was able to do. He was able to achieve victory over ignorance, craving and attachment, victory over the defilements, the kilesas, to become free of defilement, to completely abandon defilement from the mind. And so the Buddha gave rise to knowledge, to clear knowing. Wisdom arose, knowledge arose. We saw the nature of causality, that all dhammas arise based on causes. And he saw that clearly in order to abandon delusion, in order to become the fully self-awakened Buddha. And the Buddha had the great compassion to go teach for 45 rains retreats, 45 years. Then towards the end of his lifespan, the Buddha walked to Kusinara to teach Venerable Subhadda. And at that time, Venerable Subhadda was outside of the Buddha Sasana. He was ordained as a, another type of renunciate. But he had previously made the determination, he determined his parami to become the last awakened disciple while the Buddha was alive. And he built parami over the course of a long time to fulfill that aspiration. In the lifetime where he made that determination, Venerable Anya Kondanya was his older brother who determined to become the first awakened disciple of the Buddha. And he himself determined to be the last awakened disciple. So we see that everything arises from a cause. And Venerable Subhadda went to ask the Buddha on the Buddha's last day of physical life, the way to the end of suffering is that only in the Buddha's dispensation or not. The Lord Buddha answered that it's like footsteps in the air. Are any footsteps to be found in the air or footprints to be found in the air? And so we, he's taught that Nibbana cannot be found outside of the Noble Eightfold Path. It can't arise outside of the Noble Eightfold Path. In order for the paths and fruits of Nibbana to arise in the mind, the mind must follow the Noble Eightfold Path. And so therefore, Venerable Subhadda had the intent to ordain in the Buddha Sasana. And he contemplated that night contemplated in his mind about the mind that's pure and the mind that's obscured by obstructive states, by low or sad states of mind. He compared it to clouds covering over the moon. The moon is bright and radiant, but the clouds covered over and that brightness and radiance can no longer be seen. So he contemplated that the mind with sense objects and moods is just like this. When the mind clings to moods and sense impressions, the mind becomes dark. Wisdom arose, clear seeing arose. He saw that the mind is just the mind. Sense impressions are just sense impressions. 
He's able to separate the mind from all sense impre impressions and the mind realized purity. But he didn't cling to that purity either. So he realized full awakening, arahantship. He became the last awakened being, the last arahant during the time when the Buddha was still alive. So therefore we walk this Noble Eightfold Path. And this is a Dhamma that we're able to see in the beginning and attain to in the end. And we've received a lot of teachings from the Buddha's dispensation. We've heard a lot of teachings, like the 37 Wings to Awakening, which include the Four Noble Truths, the Four Efforts, the Four Bases for Success, these qualities of faith, effort, mindfulness, collectedness, and wisdom gathered together. We have a strength and energy. We can call them the five faculties and five powers. Then there's the seven factors of awakening. These are all qualities in the 37 wings to awakening and the Noble Eightfold Path as well. So we see that for all Dhamma practitioners, it doesn't, or one doesn't have to study the text a great deal. One comes to practice and train the mind, to practice restraint of body and speech, to speak a little, or speak only a little, to eat in a way that's restrained, eating just right. Because if we eat too much, we feel discomfort and sleepiness. If we eat too little, then we have another kind of discomfort. So therefore we practice the middle way with regard to eating. And when we do this, when we know how to eat, then we know the way to practice the Dhamma. So we practice all things to be just right, just enough. And when we set our hearts like this, then this helps give rise to mindfulness and collectedness, to samadhi. <clears throat> and restraint of body and speech, that's sila, that's virtue. We have right livelihood, another part of the Noble Eightfold Path, which falls under virtue as well. And we have right view to see suffering. And we can ask, why must we practice? It's because we have suffering arising in our hearts. And that suffering is something that no one wants. We see that we have to separate from all that we love and hold dear. This is something we chant regularly. The monastic Sangha should contemplate this point regularly. Because in fact, every single day we separate from that which is loved. And that which we love is these bodies of ours, which we separate from every single day. But we don't contemplate it. And then we see in the end, the body must completely degrade and pass away. But before the body degrades and passes away, it changes every single day, every week, every month, every year. Every day we age, but we don't contemplate this. And so we don't know the truth of it. But we see in the end, the body has to die and pass away. And when it's passed, when it passes away, then suffering arises because it's something that we love and we've lost it. 
Then there's also suffering that arises based on associating with things we don't like, meeting with people that we don't like. This we suffer from as well. And so this noble truth of dukkha, we know already discomfort of body, discomfort of mind, the mind not getting what it wants or seeks out. This is suffering as well and getting what one doesn't want not getting what one wants. Even in practice, we can see this in Dhamma practice. For instance, we sit in meditation, cultivate mindfulness. We feel fullness in the heart and joy. We can lose the perception of our hands and feet. The body and mind feel light and at ease, as if there's no body there at all. The breath disappears. We just have knowing with the absence of breath we know that the breath has disappeared. And so we practice like this. We can have this kind of experience a lot, but it doesn't necessarily arise every day. So we sit meditation and we want to re-experience that fullness and joy and happiness. So we should think that even this samadhi, this peace and happiness, collectedness, this firmly established samadhi, even that arises, stays for a little while and ceases. That's normal. It's a wholesome dhamma. A wholesome dhamma that arises, stays for a little while and ceases. In the beginning, we take it to be ours, to be self. We take that samadhi to be self. We have this pleasure and happiness. We put down that which is external and have peace and collectedness on the internal level. But then we cultivate that wisdom quality that even this is a conditioned Dhamma. It's a conditioned formation that arises, stays for a while and ceases. It's also not self. And so practitioners can feel weary, can feel weariness arise in the heart. They feel that they don't have attraction or liking for the things of this world anymore. And mindfulness can arise that everything is uncertain, it's not sure. One can ask, are the things of this world sure? Are they certain? Is there anything that really belongs to a self? We can see that there isn't. So therefore, we have to be careful. When this pleasure of samadhi arises, the mind can get stuck in it and attached to it. Craving arises. We sit meditation, we want to feel like that same feeling of peace and happiness. But then the samadhi doesn't arise. And so at this point, Venerable Ajahn Chah taught on he said to practice with the attitude of letting go, to make the attitude of mind just right, to set the attitude that if samadhi arises, that's fine. If samadhi doesn't arise, that's fine, never mind. The thing that's your duty, that your job to do is to have effort, perseverance, to have effort and perseverance without ceasing, without giving up. 
we see that the Lord Buddha had great effort and perseverance. For instance, we can look at the examples of his past lives. When he was on a ship that sunk, he swam with unceasing effort, trying to reach the shore. He kept swimming and swimming, even though he couldn't see the shore. He made firm effort to reach the shore. And so we think and recollect this, that the Buddha had effort like this in order to succeed. And in the end, he was able to reach the shore in that past life. The suttas, the texts say that Adeva helped him to reach it because the Buddha was many hundreds of kilometers from the shore. And he reached the point where his body was finished, had no more energy to give, but his mind wasn't finished, still had effort and perseverance. We can look at another past life where the Bodhisattva, the Buddha-to-be, lost his child in the ocean when he was born as an animal. And an animal, I believe a squirrel with a tail. And he put his tail in the ocean and ran away from the ocean to shake out the water from the tail, ran back to the ocean to soak up more water, and ran onto dry land to shake out the tail again. And his intention was to drain the entire ocean in order to find his child that he had lost. So we can see that the Bodhisattva had this incredible effort, this great effort. So even when he was born as an animal, he was an animal of the highest and best quality by virtue of his merit and parami. Therefore, for ourselves, we have effort and striving. For instance, if we study texts, like studying Pali to do Pali exams, we can study for 10, 20, 30, 50 years. And if we don't cease in our efforts, then we're able to succeed. Dhamma practice is the same way. If we don't stop from today onward, we practice sitting meditation, walking meditation, restraint in body and speech, restraint in virtue, cultivate our strength of mind, strength of heart, we strive. Then in this life, we must be able to see the Dhamma. We will be able to see the Dhamma. We don't give up. We don't accept failure. We set our hearts every single day to practice. Venerable Ajahn Chah said it's like, there's water in the ground. There's definitely water in the ground. So if we dig without ceasing, then we will meet with that water because the water is there. It's not that there's no water there. It's the same with the Dhamma. The Dhamma is already here. It's open and revealed. Whether or not Buddhas arise in the world, the Dhamma, the nature or element of Dhamma is already here. So if we practice the path of virtue, collectedness, and wisdom, the Noble Eightfold Path, we will see the Dhamma clearly for sure. So may you be confidence, confident in this. May you have the utmost confidence. May you have effort. And this quality of realizing stream entry or sotapanna, it's the first stage, the beginning stage of seeing the Dhamma. It's the mind that enters the stream to Nibbana. And the mind 
and has entered the stream has closed off the lower realms, the realms that are lower than the human realm. So therefore the mind is born in only human or heavenly states from then on. There's no eighth life. There's only at most seven more lifetimes until our huntship or full awakening. So we see this and we see that these three fetters, our first three fetters of personality view, attachment to rites and rituals, skeptical doubt, that which is thickest is the self-view, seeing things in terms of self. It's something that's very deeply embedded in the heart, very hard to uproot. It's as if all our, we can make a comparison, like all our material wealth is deeply embedded in our skin, it's difficult to remove. We see that the mind is lost in the sense of self. It's incredibly deeply embedded in the heart. That's the cause for us to not see the Dhamma. In order to see the Dhamma, we need to have wisdom, to have mindfulness and collectedness. We need to have virtue. We need to be complete and ready with our virtue. And we are ready with our faith faith to do generosity, faith to practice virtue, and to have wisdom as well. Wherever we go, we use our wisdom and our doing of goodness and merit. And some have wisdom that wherever they go, even if they don't have anything, they have the faith to do goodness. For instance, offering funds for electricity or water, things that are useful in Dhamma practice. And it's something that we do with wisdom. There's other types of generosity as well that we've all done before, like helping offer katina cloth at the katina ceremony, or helping build chedis or uposatha halls, meditation halls, viharas land for monasteries, and land for practice, and so on. And this is a help to the Buddhist dispensation to allow the Buddhist dispensation to continue on. These are the material things of the religion. And so for ourselves as practitioners, we practice to seek out the Dhamma. This Dhamma that is already here, we seek to meet with it. We can compare it to as if we have a problem with our eyesight. There's color there, but we don't see it. And the reason we don't see the color is because we have an eye problem. So if we take care of our eyes and treat them, then we're able to see the nature that's already there. We're able to see all visual forms. It's just like our minds. Our minds don't see because we have something covering over the mind. In the beginning, that which covers over the mind is attraction, aversion, drowsiness, sleepiness, fear, ill will, desire, distractedness of mind, doubt. And these five hindrances, five qualities, are qualities that the mind is associated with for a long time already. And the mind hasn't seen the drawbacks in them so we practice to try to make samadhi and mindfulness continuous 
we see that the mind is very distracted, thinking here and there, doubting about everything, which makes the mind uh, slower, or maybe anger, ill will, desire, attraction, sloth and torpor. And so we see that these five hindrances have been friends of the mind for a very long time. Then the mind starts to see the drawbacks in them, to see that they obstruct the mind, cover over the mind, prevent the mind from achieving goodness and merit. That prevent the mind from seeing the Dhamma. Because these hindrances make the mind lost in the sense of self and me and mine all the time. So if we have to cultivate mindfulness and samadhi to be firmly established, to have mindfulness samadhi well established, we need virtue as a foundation. And we have effort, we have faith, we strive with wisdom. In the beginning, it's normal that we don't understand the nature of the body. So we try to contemplate and separate out the parts of the body. But if we can't see this in truth, on the, in the beginning we see it to the level of memory or perception. We can't yet see anatta clearly. So therefore we make the mind peaceful with our meditation object first. For instance, watching the in and out breath, and repeating Budo, Dhammo, Sangho, or just Bhutto, and practicing loving kindness meditation. Whatever method we use, it's a way to bring the mind to peace, to collectedness. There are shamatha kamatanas. We can think of death, recollect death, that life is uncertain, death is for certain. <clears throat> we recollect death is for sure, life is unsure. This can make the mind peaceful. So we have faith to recollect the Buddha as well. This is called Buddha Nusati, Dhamma Nusati, Sangha Nusati. And another thing we can bring to mind is that we practice generosity all the time. This is Chaga Nusati. And recollecting that which we've given, relinquished, can bring the mind to upajara samadhi, neighborhood concentration, in a way that's easy, not difficult. So may you recollect this often. <clears throat> During the day, we can set a timer every 30 or 60 minutes in order to, when that timer goes off, we recollect the merit that we've done. We recollect that goodness and merit, that giving. Because we've done the, the giving, we've done that merit already, but we recollect it again. And thereby, by recollecting, we're able to receive merit all day long, every 30 minutes. And when we become proficient in this recollection, our mind can feel rapturous and happy. We think of that, the merit that we did that made us feel particularly happy, peaceful, and full in our hearts. And we recollect that very often. This is able to bring the mind to peace and collectedness, to make the mind firmly established. And you may have read that this type of kamatana 
is only able to bring the mind to Bajara Samadhi, neighborhood concentration. But don't worry about this. Don't be concerned. One, one may have read that one needs apana samadhi to see the Dhamma. But establish the mind in the present moment. Don't worry about this. Have effort. Because one has the sense of self in the doing of merit. We recollect that goodness and merit. This can bring the mind to stillness and peace in a way that's well established. And once the mind is well established in peace, then we are able to watch the movements of the body to see that the body is just the body. Then knowing can arise, understanding can arise clearly. Then we're able to abandon that, that which we take as self and see not self. We see this, we see this not self. And one who sees not self is one who sees the truth, sees the truth of the self. Because to see things as self is to be lost and deluded, to be lost in the sense of self, which is the cause for suffering to arise. Having a sense of self, of me and my, we get things and cling to them as self. And then those things pass away and degrade. Whether it's an inanimate object or something of our living being, we think it's ours, we take it to be me and mine. So we have to practice to see it as not me, not mine. But if we look more deeply, look at the Dhamma on a deeper level, we see that we don't age, sicken, or die. It's just natural elements that do those things. The mind is not anything. There's nothing there. This is the mind that's above the world, beyond the world. So may you have effort like this to see the truth of suffering, to cultivate awareness and knowing, to build up your quality of knowing with sila, samadhi, and panya in order to give rise to niroda or cessation this is the quality of not having craving to be being free of all suffering. And so this is up to our effort, up to our faith, up to our striving. In the end, we will meet, we must meet and see the Dhamma to close off the lower realms. This is something that all of you are capable of doing if you sincerely set your hearts on it in this lifetime. So may you all succeed in this. May you all grow in blessings.